Welcome to the Center for Domestic Studies Colloquium Series Podcast. Each episode of our Colloquium Series Podcast features a member of the Center or visiting scholar presenting a philosophical paper on a subject of their research. In this episode, we will hear Dr. Gaston Lenotre, professor in the Faculty of Philosophy at Dominican University College, giving a talk entitled, Can Thomas's Account of Individuation Survive Scotus's Objections? A Concrete Response. And without further ado, our podcast. Thank you, Dr. Osborne. Thanks for having me. It actually isn't, isn't so nice uh, over in Ottawa in terms of the uh, temperature. But uh, so um, I'll just go through my outline here so not to confuse you. The first uh, in, the, in the handout that I gave, it says caveat. I am um, caveat, huh? So, so as Dr. Osborne said, I'm not a specialist in, the, in SCOTUS. And uh, anyone who studied SCOTUS knows that he's very subtle, very deep, um, <clears throat> very dense. I think even translators, when I see their translations, they have a lot of parentheses <laughs> to like insert interpretation that they have. Um, so I'm not pretending that I can clarify everything the way a SCOTUST, a SCOTUS or even a SCOTUS would do. Um, so in, in a way, it's not fair. But uh, um, that's that. I just haven't seen very much out there uh, doing this kind of thing where there's a conversation or objections from Scotus and Aquinas responding. There's a few, out, but um, but not much. The second uh, caveat is that um, Scotus was talking to contemporary Thomists usually, so um, uh, or people that are near contemporary like Giles of Rome and Godfrey of Fontaine. Uh, Godfrey of Fontaine actually, um, I think, studied under Aquinas for a couple of years. Um, but Scotus is two generations later, like 20, 30 years. Uh, he had uh, one <coughs> debate with the Thomas, William Peter Godinus in 1305. Uh, so these are the people he has in mind when he's talking. Now, so that's, I, I say this as a caveat because I'm not really bringing them into consideration much. Uh, that would take too long. Uh, and there would be too many balls to juggle. Uh, so another caveat is that uh, I'm sure Dr. Osborne might be disappointed, but I'm not going to enter into uh, late scholastic or late uh, second Thomist or early Thomist discussions by Thomas of Sutton or Cajetan or Capriolus. They have good things to say, but um, the reason is that I don't I don't find that they usually are convincing because they have their own interpretation. And usually the, the first objective is not to interpret Aquinas, <laughs> you know, critically. Uh, for, so, for example, Cajetan, he, he goes straight to prime matter as the principle of individuation to answer. And part of that is, I think part of the reason is that one work that, was, that we recently said is inauthentic in Aquinas, De Principio Individuationis, on the principle of individuation, is not really by Aquinas. And so uh, there are little things like that that are problematic when you have to read arguments um, from the from second uh, Thomism uh, another reason is that, is that I basically I would have to defer to 
to uh, Dr. Osborne on some on t topics. I'm not, I'm not happy with doing that. Um, so my second, uh, I'm going down the Roman normal. My original contact with individuation was reading uh, Father Duan on the topic. <laughs> For the Thomist, in the late 90s, he wrote a, an article called The Individual as a Mode of Being, according to Thomas Aquinas. As usual, he's, he's pretty uh, 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 negative. He attacks people. But uh, there is a lot of positive in it, too. He was, I think, uh, very creative. And so I proposed this as a topic to Monsignor John Whipple at CUA as a master's thesis. Uh, in light of this article, I thought I could build off that piece in a creative way, talk about matter, form, participation, limitation, and mode of being. But Monsignor Whipple completely ignored my proposal. Um, he uh, told me to proceed through a chronological examination of the text, starting with the commentary and the sentences, which is what he does all the time. And then, um, and finally to include several, not all the time, I shouldn't say that, I'm being, that's uh, not true. He, uh, but I, what I mean is that that's the professional uh, way we should approach Aquinas' text. And, uh, uh, and that was very influential to me. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, though, I also ended up disagreeing with Monsignor Whipple about this uh, uh, in the end, not because I was trying to, but uh, I just thought the texts were saying something different and the secondary sources were helping me to see that. Uh, nevertheless, he seemed content with my work, uh, even though he made sure I made clear in the acknowledgments that he disagreed um, so um, I thought I was done with the topic because it's, because of uh, it's uh, actually very dry. <laughs> um, but uh, but then I saw other interpreters mention individuation here and there and Aquinas, and they were just basically false. I thought and usually not textually based. Uh, so for example, some authors want to abandon a real role of designated matter in individuation. Uh, this is uh, sort of inspired by Owens, but also Edith Stein. Uh, they want to make the principle of individuation something inspiring, something that gives dignity, maybe. Uh, not, and I'll quote Owens here about designated matter, not something, quote, restricted to the drab and uninspiring region of the quantitative, close quote. <coughs> So I think this this interpretation is is mistaken and but also unhelpful because designated matter is is one case where Aristotelians and Thomists have something to say about the positive role of the body for the individual. Right. Designated matter is a way of saying this flesh and these bones, or if we use modern biology, uh, this genetic code uh, rather than that genetic code. Uh, at least in my interpretation. So I think it'd be very rich and timely. So among those who do accept designated matter's real role, uh, the standard interpretation is to actually agree with John Whipple that Thomas frequently changed his mind about the role of individual uh, dimensions and the designation of matter. So in the past 10 years even, um, we have scholars like Gabriele Galuzzo, Fabrizio Amerini, Giorgio Pini, Jeffrey Bauer, Pasquale Poro, and Robert Pasnow. That's quite a list. 
who may usually make some effort, I think, to understand the mind of Th Thomas. But, um, but even Pasno states that this supposed change in Thomas, quote, perhaps Thomas's most dramatic change of mind in any area, close quote. Now, dramatic is not uh, a term we usually use for Aquinas. <laughs> Um, but if Whipple is right about the discrepancy of the text, then Passnow is right. Uh, it would be dramatic for Thomas to change from question four to question five of his commentary on the De Trinitate or on the De Veritate, which is written at the same time. So I've tried to answer or, or respond uh, that, to that misunderstanding. At this colloquium, uh, if it was not last time, well, if it, uh, the, other, the other time, and I tried to, and I've sent that off for publication. We'll see how that goes. Uh, so next topic is what is individuation and why should we study it? The problem of individuation is generally understood as the counterpart to the problem of universals. Just as there's a question about the ontology and the origin of the universals, there's also a question about the ontology and origin of particulars. For Thomas, just as abstraction is the activity that results in universals, individuation is the activity that results in uh, individuals. Did I may say that? Just as abstraction is the activity that results in universals, individuation is the activity that results in individuals. So by activity here, I mean a process whose end is itself. Uh, Jorge Garcia, who has written more about individuation than really anyone among scholastics, uh, describes it this way, quote, individuation refers primarily to the process whereby something universal, say man, becomes individual, a man. So to ask for a principle of individuation is, is to ask for a primary and necessary condition to account for an individual as opposed to a universal. Uh, medievals don't usually look for a cause of individuation because cause has a more restricted uh, meaning than principle. Uh, so if we look at, and I think I gave you the handout, if you look at uh, this quotation, the term principle implies an order or sequence, whereas the term cause implies some influence on the being of the thing caused. Uh, almost always, medievals are not looking, especially later medievals, are not looking for an influence on the being of the individual, rather that which is primary and necessary for an individual in the order of nature. What is needed in nature to have an individual. What is this first what is first in the activity or sequence of individuation? Now it's important why well, I'll say quickly that individuation is the what I would call the spear point of metaphysics. You can have an entire metaphysical system, but unless you can account for individuals in metaphysics, it fails. Um, right, individuals are pretty important. So if you can't account for that, if they can't cohere with what you say, then you, you've got a poor system, or poor, uh, poor account. In the late Middle Ages, there are, conveniently enough, uh, two extreme views, uh, I'll call extreme, but I'm sure for them it's not. Uh, Scotus's realism on one hand, and then Occam's nominalism on the other. Today, uh, we understand universals, uh, in particular, through the lens of Occam. I think we are in the way, on the modern uh, path, and we uh, and that's the nominalist position, which is, and it's nominalist because it says that what counts as universal are common terms. The only universals are our common terms and our common concepts, and our, our common terms are just singular statements. They're common because they belong to 
common concepts and common concepts are really just singular acts of singular minds and then the only reason our concepts are universal is in their semantic representative uh, function they represent similar things so in the nominalism universals or generals or general terms do not signify essences or natures in some way distinct from individuals they signify individuals themselves as the word goat signifies nothing but individual goats and not one goat more than another there's no no universal there it, so it seems to us living in the modern way that individuals are primary are primitively individuals and that there is no need to explain why they are individual so what accounts for our categories of being the same kind of thing is similarity Ockham says and this is the quote there is nothing in any two individuals that is one and the same whatever is in one simply and absolutely of itself is not something that exists in another for Occam, individuals are primarily diverse so there is no need for a principle of individuation <clears throat> in nominalism since the only real unity things have is similarity then there is no need to account for the distinction between each other there's no nature in the world that things somehow have in common and so individuals that and so no individuals that require an explanation for their differences uh, Thomas himself is accused of nominalism by Scotus for not being realistic for not putting natures uh, so to speak out there in the world uh, and, and Thomas in fact doesn't think that common natures exist in the world there's some interpretations that there's some there must be something out there Jeffrey Bauer says this but he has no nothing really to back it I believe uh, and Thomas rather states that we truthfully recognize a foundation for common natures in things the universal nature of a goat is not a fiction or just a semantic property uh, of concepts it's a notion with a real foundation in things uh, I think analogously, you could say time does not exist in things because it's, it's a notion in the mind. But there is certainly some nature in the world, uh, some ratio, that is the foundation for our notion of time. Authors uh, usually turn to a basic text in Thomas to explain the nature of an individual and what is required for there to be an individual. So this is the third uh, quote there in Roman numeral three. Two things belong to the notion of individual, namely one, that it be an actual being, either in itself or in something else. Close quote. So the idea here is that something is either individual substance or individual accident. But I want to, and I'll have to say later that the distinction between substance and accident is not actually in question. It's just the question of what kind of being we have here. We're, we're looking at some actual existing being, and, and we're trying to explain its individual mode of being. So I'll keep on going. Thomas goes on to state, quote, and that it be divided from other things that are or can be in the same species while being undivided in itself, close quote. The point here is that the actual being is divided from something with the same nature or the same form. So my billy goat is this billy goat, distinct from other billy goats. This kind of individuality exists even if there are no other individuals of that kind. There could uh, only be one billy goat, and he would be distinct from other billy goats that could exist, from 
those in the nature of belly goats. The point is that the individual adds something to the nature to which it belongs, and this addition would of itself distinguish it from others of the same nature, whether or not, of course, the other are the same nature. So, for example, the medievals often talk about the solar nature and lunar nature uh, and their individuation, even though in their cosmology there is only one such, you know, sun and moon. And I'll finish the quote. And then Thomas gives us his solution and quote, and therefore the first principle of individuation is matter, by which being in actuality accrues to every such form, whether substantial or accidental form. And the secondary principle of individuation is dimension, because from it matter has the capacity to be divided. Uh, close quote. I'm not going to explain that now, because hopefully that uh, will be explained later. So basically we have matter, he says is primary, and dimensions as secondary. But uh, hopefully by the end we'll have that clarified. So let's move on to the a brief historical context of the question. I believe that's, that's, that's often missing in, in the conversation, Roman numeral four. So I post here that Aristotle has a couple of things to say about uh, individuation. This is inspiring, or this is a text that people return to. Even Scotus has to contend with it and explain it away. Uh, Quote, uh, some things are one in number, some in form, some in genus, some by analogy. In number, those whose matter is one. So the idea is that matter is what's responsible for making something individual. Um, one here being a, a kind of numerical unity. Um, next quote, and when, uh, from Aristotle. And when we have the whole, a form of such a kind in this flesh, and in these bones, this is Callias, or Socrates. And they are different in virtue of their matter, for that is different. But the same in form, and for their form is indivisible. Um, so I'm just going to go through some of these, uh, some of these authors very quickly. Boethius, um, he says that it's the individuation is, happens through a bundle of accidents. Um, So in the De Trinitate, for example, he has to distinguish the, the Trinity, and the, he's going to do that through accidents, uh, which is helpful for a later discussion about relation and how we distinguish uh, the persons. Uh, Peter Abelard, though, is pretty sharp and uh, argues, if the being of individuals were contracted from their accidents, that would make accidents naturally prior to them, naturally prior to the individual. So there's a problem there, which Scotus is going to take up. I, I include Avicenna here, uh, uh, yeah. uh, but he, he talks about, uh, I'm not going to refer much to Avicenna, worries about their principles of individuation, partly because I think people aren't really clear about what they're saying. They're different interpretations, and I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not going to weigh in. But one important thing that Avicenna talks about, of course, that you must know about is hoarseness in itself. It's neither universal nor particular. It has no unity or being. Uh, in itself. Uh, that's important, right? Uh, uh, Scotus is going to take this and he's going to call this hoarseness in itself the common nature. Common because it belongs both to the universal and to the particular. Um, and then uh, Averroes. Again, it's, 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 a, it's a strange situation. So in, in book seven of the metaphysics, uh, Averroes doesn't mention, I don't believe, indeterminate dimensions as a principle of individuation, but but um, in the Substantia Orbis, he has um, quite a lot to say about 
about how form and matter and accidents are related and he includes uh, indeterminate dimensions as something that actually precedes uh, uh, form and matter in a way. Um, and so Aquinas is later is going to take this up, uh, but he's going to try to correct this and make it as, make it uh, make it so that it agrees the, with the fact that substantial principles are precede in actuality uh, accidental principles. Um, so that's a very very quick uh, rundown of some major major authors. So I want to go in now to Thomas Aquinas as uh, part of this historical context and. Uh, Unfortunately, it relies upon my interpretation of Aquinas. Uh, so, uh, so I can't just say this is, uh, everyone agrees with this. Um, but, I, but it is something that Bobic, who, who I believe is, uh, uh, is um, wrote on Aquinas more than anyone else. And he, and he, and he so he's, in, he's influential here. So in my interpretation, there are in Aquinas two uh, versions or two understandings of dimensions in Aquinas. Remember how I said earlier that Aquinas people thought he was uh, inconsistent <coughs> or changing his mind from one question to the next. Well, if you look at the context, you see that he's that the subs the subject of individuation or the uh, in the topic changes each time <laughs> when he's talking about these dimensions. And so uh, and and I call them I give them no names because he doesn't uh, ontological and epistemological. Uh, so in the ontological account, you have the individuation of the form of the part, or the substantial form. And here the counterpart is the prime matter, and prime matter has to be under a kind of dimension that we'll, we'll see, talk about later, as indeterminate dimensions. And then there's this epistemological account, what I call epistemological. Uh, but it's clear in the context that he's talking about essences and common natures. He's not talking about substantial forms. He's not talking about the soul. He's talking about uh, a nature that we understand, uh, apprehend in nature in the mind. Uh, so uh, the correlate there is common matter, not prime matter. Uh, and common matter is distinguished how? Oh, by, by the mind turning to phantasms, which has determinate dimensions. I'm going to go into that a little bit more later. Uh, so now we have uh, a two kind of big texts that I'm going to rely upon. Um, I'm just going to read it. Uh, this is uh, just to sh at least to show that I'm not making this up. Huh? Uh, so here's a sample text of Thomas's ontological account. Uh, this is the the major or basic uh, text. People you might say the most sophisticated account of individuation, but. Um, I call this ontological. So he says, now dimensions can be understood in two ways. In one way, inasmuch as they are determinate, and by this I mean that they have a definite measurement and shape. In this sense, as complete beings, they are located in the genus of quantity. Uh, but then he goes on to say that it can't, on the ontological account, it can't be this because determined dimensions change. Uh, so an embryo is only like a few inches. But then it becomes a few feet, and then five feet. Whoa, that's uh, different determinate dimensions there. But so we can't have that as a principle of individuation in, ontologic, in, our, in our ontology, because that's uh, changing <laughs> so much, and the individual would change all the time. Uh, 
So then he says, he finds another solution. Another way, dimensions can be taken as indeterminate, simply as having the nature of dimensions. So that's what indeterminate dimensions means. Um, it means the nature of dimensions. So uh, there's no there's no determinacy there. Um, though they can never exist without some determination, any more than the nature of color can exist without being definitely white or black. Taken in this way, dimensions are located in a genus of quantity as something incomplete. It is through these indeterminate dimensions that matter is made to be this designated matter. So there, by matter, he means a prime matter. We're talking about 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 substantial principles. Uh, this is this is uh, ontology is a, a way of doing metaphysics. Um, second uh, quotation uh, where uh, Aquinas is talking about an epistemolo what I call epistemological account, and this is everywhere. I mean, the, he 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 often talks about this more often. Uh, but uh, here's just one example. I call that matter designated, which, which is considered under determinate dimensions. Such matter is not placed in the definition of man as man, but it, it would be placed in the definition of Socrates if Socrates had a definition. So the meaning here is, uh, what is Socrates? Well, we can't really define him because there's no, there's no individual difference for definition, you need a difference that differentiates it from the from the kind of thing that it is. But you you can't know it because it's uh, individual matter. It's so in it, uh, I guess you could say incomprehensible or in, indeterminate that it's you can't define the individual Socrates. Um, but if you could define them, you would include individual matter with uh, or designate matter considered under determinate dimensions. So then he says, uh, it is rather it is non-designate matter which is placed in the definition of man. So if I say man is uh, body and soul, body is there is matter, but it's not determinate dimensions. I'm not including this flesh and these bones in my my, my definition. For this bone and this flesh are not placed in the definition of man, but bone and flesh, absolutely. These latter are man's non-designated matter. So it trips people up and when they're talking about Aquinas changing his mind, there's that is like, well, these, this is designated matter, it has determinate dimensions. And but then other places designated matter has indeterminate dimensions. So this is so Aquinas is just uh, very confused. <laughs> um, but but if you look at the context, it's it's clear that he's not. So uh, let's move on quickly. Jaws of Rome, um, I think he's uh, I haven't spent much time studying him, but I think he's the the closest interpreter of Aquinas on this, on the question of indeterminate dimensions on the ontological account. Um, but, th but then things change pretty quickly after the condemnations of 1277, because um, in the condemnations, uh, of Stévian Templier, one of the uh, propositions is that that's condemned is God cannot multiply individuals of the same species, species without matter. So you, according to this, you can't do that. You can't say God can't multiply individuals of the same species without matter. So, and, he, and there's other things, other propositions like that. So after this time period, after this, uh, these condemnations, you have a kind of shift, <laughs> at least in, in, the, in, the, in the rhetoric, or at least in the in, uh, up front. About well, if it's not, uh, we can't say it's matter because <laughs> we're going to be condemned for it. 
And so you have Godfrey Fontaine, who emphasizes substantial form as a formal principle, but he also makes quantity. Um, uh, uh, Father Whipple uh, distinguishes there between the transcendental unity, uh, substantial form as the principle of individuation and accounts for a transcendental unity. Quantity is the principle that accounts for numerical unity. Uh, I'm, that's just, I'm just summarizing there. And then I mentioned earlier William Peter Godinus, uh, who says, he, he says here, matter is the um, ultimate source of individuation, of numerical plurality. Quantity is the proximate source. Okay, so that's a really run through of, um, of what's going on between Aquinas and, and, and Scotus's time. So I want to go quickly into uh, basic uh, philosophical comparisons, including uh, metaphysical topics and, and, and specifically individuation. So I assume you, don't, you might not know Scotus, um, so that's why I'm, I'm going to basics here. So for this, the subject of both authors is actually the same, uh, at least from what I can tell. That it's both being as being. They, they agree with Avicenna against Averroes. It's not God. Um, so that's great. <laughs> um, but the proper object of the intellect is different. For Thomas, it's quiddity, or uh, as he later says, quiddity of the material thing. For Scotus, it's being, uh, and that being can then be divided into infinite and finite and, and other disjunctives. Um, and then uh, one important thing uh, for our, uh, my topic today is that for th they're in, th they have different accounts of how the intellect knows singulars. Uh, for Thomas, uh, we know singulars, uh, what I called earlier this epistemological account. We know singulars indirectly through reflection upon phantasms. So phantasms, images of our, uh, that arises from our experience of things, they tell us about the individual. Um, and the intellect can return to those uh, with the notion or the universal notion that it has. So it's indirect uh, in cognition. But for Scotus, th uh, we know individuals, singulars, directly through intuition. Um, at least, um, at least uh, ideally. Uh, but, but Scotus does say that because of the fall of Adam, we don't have this capacity anymore. Um, uh, so it's it's a, a little. Uh, uh, it's interesting though, but because though metaphysically though you can you you can have, you can know things you can know singulars. All right, so I'm going to pass down to my uh, my next uh, table there. So I mentioned earlier that you have. To, for Aquinas, you have two uh, subjects of individuation. You, uh, in, in the ontological account, you have to have the substantial form <coughs> to be individuated and the common matter. And, and sorry, the substantial form and the prime matter. Um, so for Aquinas, the substantial form is not individual of itself, but um, Scotus argues that it is. Um, it is individual of itself, presumably because as you'll say later, a substantial form falls under a common nature, and the co since the common nature is extramental for him, existing in things, unlike Aquinas, then all the principles that fall under the common nature would be individuated if the common nature is individuated. Um, so we'll go back to that a little bit in this table. Uh, so for Aquinas, 
How does substantial form get individuated? individuated? Well, by matter under indeterminate dimensions, like we saw with the ontological account. For Scotus, there's no need for this type of individuation because it's of itself individual. At least, uh, uh, as I interpret him, it's, it's individuated uh, because it belongs under the common nature. Uh, so now, the, here's some uh, really interesting parts. So uh, they both have understanding of common nature. Uh, but for Aquinas, like I was saying, common nature is universal in the mind. Uh, for Scotus, it's uh, uh, in the thing, or someone would say also in the thing. Um, so that changes a lot <laughs> because um, there now we're talking not about substantial form but common natures. Uh, Aquinas, uh, if it's in the mind, then it's not going to be. It's going to have to be realistic or whatever. It has to be like I'm saying, epistemological. But for for Scotus, it has to be <laughs> realistic or ontological. They, so it's, they're they're trying to answer two different problems already. From just based on the, these really basic items. So what kind of unity uh, does a common nature have for Aquinas? It's a specific unity. Uh, it's a, a unity that we, that we, um, that we fi find in things. Um, for Scotus, this kind of unity, he says, is more than specific or, and less than miracle. Some people call it a minor unity. Um, Because it's in the thing, it's it's not something that's just based on the, on the mind, mind's understanding. All right, now moving on to the next column, and you have an individuator of the common nature. Individuator just means that which individuates the common nature. As I said earlier, for Thomas, it's matter under determined dimensions. I know Socrates in my mind. I, 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 well, first I know man, right, and then I say, oh, Socrates. I know Socrates because I can associate these determined dimensions with him. Um, snub nose. But Scotus, uh, he has different ways of putting it. Uh, the famous way is thisness, hechetas. But he also says other things like individual form, ultimate reality of the form, entity, entitas positiva, positive entity. It seems to me like the, the words don't matter to him. They mean, they mean the same thing. Uh, some uh, For sure it's not a negative entity, uh, like Henry Gent will say. Henry Gent is between Aquinas and Scotus. Uh, who's, who, who posits a negative principle. Um, so what's the distinction of, in the last column there I talked about, I mentioned, uh, referred to the distinction between the nature, or the common nature, or the nature of the thing, from the individuator. So, because in the thing, in, in the individual, uh, you, you have these two principles. Uh, at least for Scotus, you have, the, they're there. <laughs> Uh, so what's the distinction there? For Aquinas, uh, um, at least one interpretation would say, it's simply a conceptual distinction between the, 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 the nature and the individual, individuator. So this flesh and these bones is not d uh, really distinct from Socrates. I mean, it's just in the notion of Socrates, remember, you have this flesh and these bones. So it's, it's, part, of the, it's, it's, it's part of the thing. You can make a distinction and say, well, what's distinguishing his nature? Well, the, the, this flesh and these bones, designated matter. Okay, but it's not really distinct. It's not even, Scotus says, formally distinct. So Scotus has um, uh, interesting distinction, the formal distinction, uh, which he uses a lot. Um, and there's, there's a formal distinction between the 
the individual between sorry the nature and what individuates it so the the hechetas and the common nature are just formally distinct it's not it's something in between real distinction and logical distinct or conceptual distinction uh, it's not uh, you could, not not real in the sense of Aquinas a real distinction and it's not uh, conceptual uh, only he doesn't want to say that it's only the mind because uh, that would be that would be nominalist huh that would, <laughs> you would, you, that would be kind of dangerous so it's in it's in the thing all right so that's that's my little rundown of basic uh, uh, things, uh, basic uh, ideas. Um, but based on my snapshot of the Scotus metaphysics, we, 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 what we saw was that there are two widely different schemas of individuation. And the column with one asterisk that I, that I have there, um, uh, Thomas needs the principle of individuation to answer how an essence in the mind how a common nature becomes something distinguished as an individual. How does the intellect know Socrates if the intellect directly knows only the universal man? Uh, well, he knows Socrates through a reflection upon the phantasm, which has determinate dimensions. So turning to the image of Socrates' snub nose gives me an awareness of the singular Socrates. But in Scotus' schema, it, at least in an ideal state without the fall, there's no need to turn to phantasm uh, to know singular. Singulars are simply known through intuitive cognition. Before the fall. Before the fall, yeah. But I think, but my 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 my, my the way I'm reading him is, you have in metaphysics you you you're, you're trying to give an account of of something I guess a priori in a way <laughs> of the nature of things as they should be. Uh, so I don't. Uh, it's not clear to me how he. Uh, how, but anyway, so simple singulars are simply known through intuitive cognition. Uh, their thisness, um, so uh, so in the, uh, so that you, you know you know the the uh, the individual, um, but the but the, the only problem for Scotus is that your intellect is what is darkened, and so you can't know this individual. It's not because of the thing that uh, that's a problem. Where is it for Aquinas? It's because of the thing that you can't know the individual because of its ma matter. So in column two, in the column with the two asterisks, for Thomas, substan the substantial form requires individuation because of itself, the substantial form is not individual. It has to be individuated by matter, again, by, uh, designated by indeterminate dimensions. But for Scotus, the substantial form is individual of itself. So there's no need for substantial form to be individuated. It seems because the common nature, I think, is what he would say. The common nature which exists in the thing is contracted to individual, and every principle which belongs to the common nature is also contracted. And so, so for Scotus, and Scotus is answering a very different question than Thomas. Um, I hope that I hope that that's clear so far. So I'll just keep on going. Um, <coughs> So let's move on to Scotus's objections, finally. So Scotus's objections to accidents. So in questions five and six of the Ordinatio, um, th these are his revised versions. That's what Ordinatio means, revised versions of the Oxford Lectures. He also meant, talks about individuations in question seven, and book seven of his commentary on the metaphysics. I'll be mostly relying on the Ordinatio. Um, 
there's an addition by Vincent, Paul Vincent Spade that's pretty good. The question we're interested in is question four and question five. Question four asks whether material substance is individual or singular through quantity. And question five asks whether material substance is a this an individual through matter. So in question four, Scotus gives four different ways to show that quantity cannot be the principle of individuation. So the first uh, way is the argument from the notion of the substance as a per se being. So substance, in the sense of first substance, is per se being in a primary and truest sense. It's also the source of activity and operation, as well as the ultimate subject of predication. So, but if this is so, any combination of substance and accident would be a being per accidens, like musical man, and not a per se being like man himself. And so the aggregation for Scotus uh, of any accident, including quantity and the substance, cannot explain what makes that substance as primary and per se being, to be that individual being, because then the accident, because the accident is, is outside the range of substance as per se being, right? So you have what you have. How can you return to accidents to explain some, an essential being? Like there's Socrates, there's, Socrates, there's a man, why are you going to musical, <laughs> whiteness or quantity to explain a sub, a per, uh, an essential being? Uh, second uh, objection he has is uh, the ordering of substance to accident. Um, so there's ontological priority of substance to accident. The, su the primary substance is individual, so we cannot rely on an accident to help individuate substance. Um, so substance is prior to accident by priority of nature. And so this, this substance, as substance, is prior by nature to this accident. Yet, yet if this is the case, Scotus would say, an accident like quantity cannot make the substance on which it depends individual, because then the accident, which is ontologically posterior, will be treated as prior by nature to substance, uh, whereas substance is actually, is actually ontologically prior. And this is impossible. Um, I'm, basically, I'm kind of paraphrasing and summarizing this very long. Uh, but the third uh, argument, I think, is the, the longest. I spent uh, some time <laughs> trying to uh, find the best argument. You know, he marshals like 12 or a dozen arguments each time. But I'm trying to find the best one. <laughs> um, so it, this third one is based on the integrity of each categorical order. Um, so I'll just kind of repeat word for word some of this argument. He says, in every, in every categorical hierarchy, there are contain all that pertain to that hierarchy, disregarding everything else that is not something belonging essentially to that hierarchy. In every categorical hierarchy, the singular or the individual is not established through anything belonging to any other hierarchy, no matter how much it is contracted by something in another genus. Nothing is taken away from, that, from it that is relevant to its hierarchy. For no matter how much Socrates is determined by white or black, and then he goes on about well, just because it's, it's not going to determine Socrates if it's white or black, why are we talking about quantity to, to talk about? Uh, therefore, no matter how much a nature in the genus substance is claimed to be contracted to individuals through something to another genus, that nature will remain formally common when it is contracted, just as when it was not contracted. Therefore, to claim that the common nature uh, becomes individual through something in another genus is to claim it is both common and individual at once. Uh, so the third way Scotus gives is basically, basically an emphasis on individuality as non-instantiability. 
If to be a single individual entity is to be non-essentiable and the entity in question is a substance, then unless there's a substantial change, the entity will remain this and not become not this, no matter the change in accidents. Scotus asks why, why, why would the determination of quantity be any, be any different than the determination of white or quality? The substance does not become more substance, it is not more determined as this because of an accidental determination. Uh, quickly now to the fourth argument he gives, uh, the argument against quantity in particular. Um, the idea here is that each of the categorical predicamental orders should be complete without any confusion with the members of another order. So um, regardless of the interrelation of the orders. To take an example, we, we can't, we should be able to move from quantity to continuous quantity, uh, to line, to this line, so in that kind of more de uh, determination, without moving or adverting to the category of quality or any other category. If, however, we take the category of substance and try to complete the categorical descent, we can only, on the basis of accidental theory of individuation, arrive at the species, say human being. We can't arrive at this human being because it is something outside the order of substance that yields uh, this human being from human being. So you can't say ac accidents can only arrive at, our, uh, at uh, if anything, at human being. Not this human being because it's just a further determination of a substance, further determination of a substance. So when Thomas and the Thomas say it is the nature of quantity as parts having position that individu individuates the matter, Scotus replies that the argument is, basic, is, base, is begging the question, at least that's my, uh, my interpretation. It is saying that dimensions individuate because it is in the nature of dimensions to individuate. Um, and this is a quote from him. Why does this position of that quantity differ from that position of that quantity? Close quote. Quantity is a form just like other categories. Um, so those are objections to the accidents, uh, very quickly. Uh, and then he has objections to matter as well. He spends much less time on it. This is question five of the Ordinatio. Uh, he says, and one of the arguments proceeds this way. Matter is the same in the generated, in the corrupted. Therefore, it has the same singularity in the generated, in the corrupted. Uh, close quote. So if the matter of a squirrel uh, separates from the form, so if it dies, the matter that underlies the squirrel now becomes a plant that grows from it, uh, and it's, so it's the same matter. So there's nothing in the matter of itself that would explain the individuality of a substance, since matter is found in any corporeal substance. Um, so Scotus anticipates the response from, from Thomas, from a Thomistic, from a Thomist which is that matter is not the same matter in the generated and the corrupted because matter, under indeterminate dimensions, individuates the form. But then Scotus will say, um, it just returns to his criticism of the quantity theory of individuation. So we go back to that. If it were the case that indeterminations could individuate, then the same substance would return after corruption. The matter of water that turns into fire will be the same matter when the fire returns to water. Quote, the water corrupted in the first instance and the water generated in the second have the same matter and are the same species. Therefore, they are really this water. Um, but that's, in, uh, so the meaning is that the first water naturally returns uh, uh, 
to the same number. So the numerically identical waters, even though fire has done something to it or changed it to make it air or something. But uh, in the scholastic ideas, this is impossible. You can't have something uh, corrupted and then come back in the order of nature. You need some kind of supernatural event for that um, to become the same numerical thing. Okay, so let's go to Thomas's possible responses. Let's go to his objections. So Thomas, the question doesn't primarily belong to accidents, except in the nature or notion of quantity as something with parts having position. Thomas relies on dimensions to individuate matter, but that doesn't, I would argue, circumnavigate the natural priority of substance to accidents in the order of nature. Um, so the, the problem of individuation is not a problem that starts actually with substance. He's not trying to individuate of substance. We're trying to account for how a being uh, can uh, have, uh, have an individual mode of being. Um, the so the analysis then begins with a, a general mode of being, not the special modes of being that, uh, that Aquinas talks about of uh, going to the categories. Uh, and so the question is, whence the particular? What's the origin of the particular? And the answer is that whatever is universal is contracted or limited to a determinate mode of being by uh, something with the nature of individuality. So you need something that has a characteristic of individuality to, to limit or contract other principles in the thing. Uh, so in, my, in the epistemological account, it's rather simple. The common nature is contracted to a singular mode of being, through matter with determinate dimensions, because the intellect can reflexively turn to the phantasm to associate the common nature with uh, the dimensions of a particular individual. If John asks Peter, do you remember the statue we saw in Rome? Peter asks John, which statue? And when John gives Peter a description of the statue, the, the one by Bernini with the angel piercing St. Teresa of Avila, yeah, in rapture, that one. Peter then associates the common nature of statue with the determinate dimensions to, uh, to know the statue, this statue in question. So um, this is not about individuating a substance. We're not bypassing uh, the, the relation between substance and accident. We're, question, we're just asking about uh, common nature. That's the epistemological account. Uh, the ontological account of individuals is more complex. Thomas here analyzes an existing being, not in terms of substance and accident, but in terms of the principles, uh, a substantial and accidental principles. So he looks at a concrete being with existence and points to the substantial principle that receives and delimits the form, um, which of itself is not individual. And he recognizes the need for the matter in that individual being to be determined in order to receive form. So Thomas is analyzing, it's about it's a process an analysis he's doing. Thomas is analyzing the principles of a concrete being, introducing a necessity of matter to have that aspect or that character of individuality as well, uh, in order to be able to uh, contract the form, to, to, to limit the form. So the substantial form is contracted to a determinate mode of being, singular through matter, but the matter in order to able in order to be able to receive and contract the substantial form as itself have this character uh, of this aspect of divisibility this, uh, that, uh, that dimensions can give to it. Uh, these dimensions, these indeterminate dimensions, are not actual existing dimensions. Uh, rather, in this examination of a concrete individual being, Thomas notices that the matter of that being requires a predisposition to dimensions by being the co-principle of a corporeal form. I really think he's looking at the 
at 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 the concrete <laughs> existing thing, and not just starting from the idea of substance and and and, and going down from there, because so he's in, he's including even existence, you know, but he's not. That's not part of the question. Uh, the, the question is well, why? What principles in the thing account for uh, account for its being individual? And so, uh, what gives the character when our analysis or the, of the individual? What gives the character of individuality is dimensions, because dimensions are parts outside of parts that have a position. And so, it's part of the metaphysical structure of matter and form that matter be predisposed to a certain form. Through the nature of dimensions, so uh, the potential line of causality uh, um, from matter to substantial form is kept, and the potential line of causality from matter to accidental form is kept. Why? Because we're talking about matter uh, not being uh, actually determined by by the accidental form, but simply matter understood as under this under these dimensions. So, in the concrete individual being. There's not some substance flying around and some accident flying around. They're all together. <laughs> and the question is, well, what's going on with the matter? The matter is uh, has this nature to be under dimensions. And so we understand matter. That kind of characteristic of matter uh, is what is able to uh, receive the form, the substantial form. Uh, so I'm suggesting that whereas SCOTUS is looking for a principle that individuates any being, such as, sub such as substance and accidents, Thomas is looking at an existing concrete being. So uh, against the quantity thesis, I'll uh, try to go faster uh, or finish up. Against the quantity thesis, Scotus reasons that the quantity is either determinate, that is with quantity definite and, uh, and distinctive dimensions, or indeterminate, that is, that is with quantity with indefinite and generic dimensions. Uh, but according to Scotus, if the quantity is determinate, the definite dimensions are the expressions of a substantial form of the individual and depend upon it, the substantial form, for their entity. Scotus takes issue then with the priority there of substance and accidents. But this isn't a problem for, for Aquinas. Why? The reason is that uh, uh, de determined dimensions uh, functions only as an epistemological principle. Determin determinate dimensions serve as a principle in our knowing that the goat in my intellect is understood as this billy goat gruff. Uh, determinate dimensions are posterior to the, to the substantial form, but determinate dimensions do not individuate the substantial form. They individuate, they rather, uh, they ra they rather uh, individuate the specific or generic nature in the mind. So that's, uh, that should clear coyness on the de determinate dimensions front. On the question of indeterminate dimensions, uh, for Scotus, if the quantity is indeterminate, then the quantity precedes and succeeds the given physical individual. So indeterminate dimensions cannot be what accounts for the uniqueness of the individual. Scotus argues uh, that the same indeterminate quantity remains in the production of air from fire and in the fire that is produced again from air in the reverse process. So that's Scotus. Uh, uh, Thomas is, say, uh, is not saying that prime matter individuates or even that matter uh, under dim dimensions is sufficient. Um, so when you're looking at the concrete being, uh, you're looking at the matter uh, there <laughs> under dimensions. But how is it under dimensions? Well, it's under dimensions because it's in relation to 
the substantial form. That's what matter is. Matter is a, uh, a, is a relation to a substantial form. So you have to define matter in terms of its relation to substantial form. Of course, we don't have yet a count of why it's this substantial form, because you need matter understood as under dimensions to be able to uh, contract and determine the substantial form. So the, the, so the character that matter receives is, as, um, as underdetermined dimensions is actually character demanded by its relation to the substantial form. Uh, this is actually is a late Thomistic view of by Poinceau, uh, that this, it's the relation of matter to the form um, that's doing some work here. Um, uh, so it's not that sun that the same matter under dimensions get passed around. This is what this makes it sound like, from one being to the next. It's rather that uh, a being is individual because matter designated by the nature dimensions renders the form distinct, um, and so the being is unique because, as a composite, its matter is considered with the nature of dimensions. That's um, that's my little response to Aquatuscotus. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thomistic Studies podcast. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher and leave a five-star review, which helps others discover the show. The Center for Thomistic Studies is based at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas, and it is the only graduate philosophy program in the United States uniquely focused on the thought of St. Thomas. If you are interested in future talks and events at the Center, please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Studies to receive regular updates and news. For more information about the Center, please visit us online at stthom.edu slash cts. That's s-t-t-h-o-m dot e-d-u slash c-t-s. Thank you.